Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Today we're talking about a topic that might be brand new to you. If you are a teacher thinking about what your students are eating and their diet and nutrition might not be front of mind. If you are a parent, it is definitely front of mind because if you have a child with extremely picky eating or other eating challenges, you deal with that on an everyday basis. But I felt very motivated after interviewing Jenny Friedman, who's a registered dietitian and specializes in working with children with autism, that teachers need to get involved in this conversation as well. Because many of our kids are eating two of their meals at school. They might be eating breakfast and lunch at school, maybe and snacks. That's a lot of their day. And as Jenny and I talk about, there's a lot of benefits to working on eating in the school setting. I share with her in this later in this episode that one of my kids is extremely picky, as many toddlers are, and she goes to daycare where they give her food. And guess what? At daycare, she eats all kinds of new things that she won't eat for me. And she'll tell me, oh, mom, green beans, I only eat those at school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, just eat green beans for me. But at school, there's peer pressure. And there are different routines at school. At school, it's kind of a you eat what you're given situation where she knows that I will just cave and make macaroni and cheese. So 
with those school settings, we want to really take advantage of exposing our learners to new foods and hopefully improving their diet and their health. So in today's interview, I chat, like I said, with Jenny Friedman, and she has so many great actionable strategies that are positive. You know, she's not about making this whole eating thing aversive. They're very doable. She shares a lot of good tips on how to expose kids to new food and kind of the step-by-step process of what to do there. So whether you are a teacher or a parent, this episode is going to be really helpful for you. And I hope you gain some great ideas that you can bring back to your students that are maybe struggling with their eating. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining me. I am really excited to chat with you. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I've never had anyone on to really talk about eating and diet. So this is kind of, I'm going to be learning a lot too, and I am looking forward to that. (laughs) I'm so glad, and I'm happy to be the first. So it's, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I think it's an important issue. So I'm glad to be here. So what, can you tell me a little bit about your background? What brought you kind of to this specialty? Yeah. So, um, I mean, to be honest, it was always my initial interest. I just didn't quite see it as like a normal or feasible path. So I'm a registered dietitian. Um, so I've studied, I have a master's in nutrition. I've studied a lot and taken big exams and picky eating is something that we've addressed in school. And I learned, you know, a lot about how kids learn to eat and some of the struggles that they face, but it was never a big focus of what we've done. Um, Yet it was always kind of where my interests have been. So I started off doing a lot of work in um, schools, teaching nutrition education and cooking classes. And I loved that hands-on. I loved working with the kids. Um, But it was also where I noticed that there were um, some real barriers that some kids faced. Um, Kind of about this time, I was also doing some other work more in the educational sphere with um, kids on the spectrum. And both of these things kind of followed me down the road and ultimately, um, you know, I just kind of started to pursue it for real and, and here I am. That's awesome. And there's obviously such a need for it as well, you know, in this community. There really, there really is. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, as I'm sure you know, that most kids um, with autism definitely seem to have some sort of eating barrier. So what are some of the most common eating challenges you see for kids on the spectrum? Um, I see, I would say the largest one is having kind of two things, would be having a limited diet and also an aversion to new foods. Um, And often, you know, these diets tend to be pretty homogenous. And we, you know, sometimes hear this being called like the beige diet, you know, it's kind of like the chicken nugget, French fry cracker diet. Um, Mm -hmm. And they tend to often, you know, be lower in more nutritious foods, you know, namely vegetables, sometimes fruit. Um, So it's kind of those two things that I think are usually, you know, kind of the driving force behind those um, tendencies can be different, but that's often how they manifest is kind of this really limited diet and like, an, you know, an aversion to new foods. And with your experience, why do you think, you know, these challenges are maybe more common in under the autism, you know, diagnosis with, you know, individuals and children with autism? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the research kind of suggests that, you know, it can be a number of things. I think large, the one that I see most often, and I would say actually in just about every child I've worked with, whether or not they're on the spectrum is sensory issues. Um, So this is definitely something that we see more in the autism population, but it makes a lot of sense for anyone because eating is like the ultimate sensory experience. It's one of the few things that we do that, you know, it engages every single one of our senses down from everything to like, you know, our balance and proprioception, all of that stuff. So I think that is probably the number one, but we also see things, um, you know, kind of with that maybe preference for um, routine and similarity, um, oral motor deficits could be a potential factor. Um, you know, right, like that preference for routine. So there can kind of be some of these idiosyncratic behaviors. Um, but I would say really, again, the sensory is the number one. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for four ninety nine dollars each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And that's such a good point because, you know, we talk about, you know, children with autism having all these sensory needs, sensory needs, but we don't, or at least me, I don't always think of eating right away. And eating is such a huge sensory experience, you know, smelling and, and the taste and everything. There's... There are certain foods I'm sure every person just can't eat because it's like a sensory thing. Like totally. for me, it's for me, it's oysters. Like I'm like, nope, yeah. just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I I mean, I um yeah, like my sister, for example, you know, even now as an adult, like kind of still gags at the thought of yogurt and oatmeal, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. And that's that's very common. So exactly. We all have some level of that, I think. Okay, so let's get to the good stuff, the strategies. If everyone does not follow you on Instagram, they have to because I you are obviously a visual learner, I would guess, because I love yeah. your page. It's so visual. Like you break down these strategies into this cool little like infographic. And I mean, I'm a parent. I'm like, oh my God, I need to do this like yeah. <laughs> with my kids. Um, so what are some actionable strategies that parents, but also teachers, because a lot of kids eat, mm-hmm. you know, two meals a day at school. Yes. What can parents and teachers be doing to kind of work towards you know, overcoming some of these eating obstacles? Yeah. So that's a really great, a great question. And it's so true. Um, I have had a lot of teachers reach out to me. Um, and kind of when I review the kind of daily meal plan of the kids that I work with, it, it's true, at least a third of their meals and often more than that are happening at school. Um, so I would say, you know, it does kind of depend on where you are, but I would say the number one thing is to always, um, you know, encourage exposure to a variety of foods. So kind of the biggest pitfall that I see, and I know why this is happening, and I don't blame any parent or teacher or individual who is doing this, but one of the biggest pitfalls that I see is that um, kids are only served their preferred foods and nothing else. Um, And like I said, that really makes sense because often it's a strategy to keep them very comfortable and ensure that they are eating. But the downside of that is that then they're lacking, 
you know, they're missing out on these opportunity for exposure to even, you know, like the sensory experience, but also just the idea that these other foods exist. Um, mm-hmm. And research shows us that, you know, kids need this exposure, that that's crucial for learning to accept a new food. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest one is to always encourage, you know, foods to be around. So does that mean like putting it on their plate, like having it just be on the table? Whatever you can do. If it can go on the plate, that's ideal and that's awesome. Some kids won't tolerate that, you know, a food on their plate or on their placemat or in their area. So even if it's just kind of around them, that's really helpful. I, as a parent, I have two toddlers. I'm very yeah. guilty of this because yeah. I always am like, I don't want to throw food away. I know, <laughs> like, I they're know. not going to eat it. So how do, how do I get over that mental, just for me, how do I get over yeah. that mental hurdle? No, I was just talking about this. So, I mean, it's really, it's really difficult and this is kind of be part of a bigger process. But I mean, one part is like portion, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to put out an entire feast, you know, an entire bowl of carrots that they're not going to eat. But even just having a couple little carrots there can help. And so, you know, you can kind of think strategically about what will last in the fridge and how can you prepare only a little bit or can you take something from your meal or something that you will eat later. Or I really like to use frozen foods. Um, So, you know, it's easy to find a lot of frozen vegetables and they're pretty inexpensive. They last forever. And that's just a good way to kind of, yeah, get over that hump for yourself. And then like, you're also not wasting the time preparing something. It's just like a quick, you know, pop in the microwave or on the stove and it's there. So yeah. I get that. What, a, what about for teachers um, where the school is, you send in all the food. Mm-hmm. So maybe mom and dad just send in, you know, peanut butter and jelly and the chips that they like, and that's it every single day. Well, how can, you know, maybe a teacher kind of facilitate and start this discussion with parents? Yeah. So, I mean, that can be, um, you know, that depends, but that's a, that's a great thing to think about. And the discussion, you know, can be like, it can be, I think a great way would be to have a lesson in school, you know, in the classroom of kind of healthy eating nutrition. And I know that's happening. And then if it can become a take home to the parent, you know, here's our challenge for the week. Um, here's why we want to do this. Or even, you know, if it's just a discussion, I, you know, I know that a lot of schools are having more and more rules about what's allowed in the lunchbox these days. And that can be, you know, that can be a challenge too. And again, like I know that doesn't work for everyone, um, but trying to set this up and just create the opportunity and open the conversation for these sorts of things can be really helpful. Um, And even if the parent isn't, you know, necessarily packing those foods, there can still be other ways to incorporate, you know, positive experiences or interactions with food in the classroom as well. That's a great point, you know, keeping it on the positive too, and not having it be something aversive. I'm, you know, creating that whole kind of narrative around eating. Yeah, it's, I'm all for the positivity. So yeah, I never want it to be. And I would say that's kind of my one, like the one thing that parents and teachers and caregivers should not do, I just really wouldn't make it, it, you know, I would avoid trying to make it into a negative experience. I know nobody intends to do that, but um, as much as we can foster positive relationships with food and with eating, that's really, you know, for me, the key to being able to move forward. If a child has a negative association with food or mealtimes, it's going to be really difficult to kind of undo that and move forward like the forced bites and things yes. like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it is something that, that happens, but that's kind of what I think if, you know, there's, it, yeah, I, I really, anyone, I think 
everyone can really relate to that. There's some point in their lives where they're told, you know, you have to finish this or just take a bite or this. And for, you know, kids with real, you know, like kind of these real severe picky eaters, and especially kids who might have an autism diagnosis, there's often a very real barrier that's behind their preferences and their decisions to eat or not to eat. So forcing them to take a bite is really saying like, please just do this one little thing that you're super uncomfortable with. But if you do it, you know, just it'll make me really happy. So please, you know, and that's not fair. Um, and that yeah. can definitely backfire. Okay. So we start with exposure to new foods, yeah. having it out, having it on the plate. Do you talk about it, the food that's there, the new items? Yeah. So this definitely, you know, depends, but I would say yes, because sometimes just having it there, that exposure is helpful, but we really need some more, you know, intimate interactions to help a child get over whatever barrier is, um, you know, behind their aversion. So I would definitely, a discussion is a great way to start talking, you know, to kind of break the ice and you can talk, you know, here, here's this food, this is what it is, or here's this food, you know, it's called broccoli. Um, you know, it kind of looks like a tree. It's green. Um, you know, and even just starting with kind of, let's talk about the visual appearance. All you have to do is look at it and let's just talk about it. Um, and from there, you can certainly move on to kind of more intimate experiences of, you know, bringing it closer to the child or exploring how it touches or feels or smells or how it touches, how it feels and, you know, smells and, you know, um, tastes even. So kind of moving up um, through the senses to get a little more intimate. And all of those exposures help to make a child more comfortable and helps kind of desensitize as well. That's great. And I, and I love on your Instagram also how you talk about choosing, you know, that new food to be something that is maybe somewhat similar to things they already like. Yes. So that's huge. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, it's when we're thinking about, you know, a lot of like a common barrier and question I hear is like, well, what do I introduce? Like what, what new foods, you know, my child eats X, Y, Z, what do I do? And really you can do, you can offer anything, like any food is fair game, but um, there's often, you know, a reason that a child is eating a particular food. Their preferences aren't random. And so if you're able to really look at kind of whatever similarity might be behind their, you know, might be shared among their preferred foods, you know, look to texture and temperature and color and taste. Is there anything there that's sticking out? And from there, you'll have really good information on what kinds of foods a child would be most inclined to accept. You know, so if they love salty foods, starting with something sweet may not be the best bet. You know, and if they love crunchy, offering soup, might not go over so well. But yeah. if you can find something that, you know, really shares those similarities, um, I think, you know, kids will have a better time learning to accept those. Yes, that is a great, that's so logical, but I, I don't, you know, I don't always think to Nobody do that. that. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't always think about that, but, you know, we have to, like, it's not, you know, what, in the population that I work with, it's not, picky eating isn't because kids are being fickle. You know, there's really something driving their behavior. Um, and often there will be kind of some, those sorts of trends in what they're eating. Yeah, that's a great. And to view, you know, view, it's about your mindset too. You're not viewing this as like he's trying to be difficult. Like there's something that really is aversive about this yeah. category of food. 
Definitely. That's, and that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And I think that bit of perspective um, goes a long way. So that's a great point. What's your opinion on iPad and TV at the dinner table? I am torn. I mean, you know, instinctively I say no, like that's, you know, there's no place for it. That's not, it's not how I was brought up. So I'm very, you know, like, this isn't a thing, but I understand that's also something that's not an accident. Um, That's not parents choosing to, you know, get more screen time in their child's life. (laughs) Often the iPad, you know, or any other, you know, a book or toys find their place at the table because they're a coping mechanism. Often it's because behavior is better, attention is better, uh, because a child eats better. And all of those things are really important to a parent who's worried about how much their child eats and about their child's diet. So it's something I understand and it's something I try to um, wean if possible but that's not, you know, it's not saying, it's, I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad about what's happening at home. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to get through the day. <laughs> totally. Yeah. If you got to get through the day, you need your child to eat and that's a priority. And I know that, um, you know, so that's something else, you know, one more thing to work on. Um, yeah. Yeah. As we've been talking, I think back to the first school I worked in had a cafeteria in the basement and it was very over sensory overload, you know, mm-hmm. smells, noise, but, and it was, everyone had hot lunch and you had to get the four items on your tray. And I, I hated it at the time, but now looking back, I'm thinking, well, wow, that was a lot of food exposure we were doing because <laughs> yeah. it always bugged me that they had to get the four items, but it was, everyone was used to it because they had all gone there since they were three. Right. And that's, you know, it, it's sometimes too, just a matter of what, you know, what they're used to, um, yeah. you know, and, and right, that routine. So that's a really good point. And I mean, my, my four-year-old will, she goes to daycare and they serve lunch at daycare and she'll flat out tell me like, oh mom, I eat that at daycare. I don't eat that at home. Like, oh, green beans, I eat that at daycare. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I know. And that's, that's still something I'm trying to wrap my head around because she is not the only one who does that. Um, And I think there could be a number of things going on, but I kind of just think it's this kid thing, you know, it's. It, it's really frustrating. I know that. But at least she's eating the green beans. That's, you know? that's how I feel. I'm like, yeah. at least you're eating the green beans. Exactly. Because cool. one day she will eat them at home. And and the peer pressure. So like, yes. that's why I think, you know, teachers do, it, it might not feel like a teacher's role to get involved in like mealtime. But if you're eating two of your three meals a day at school, and then you have all these kind of maybe positive contingencies at play where, you know, the routines there of getting all the hot lunch items, all your friends are eating it, that they maybe have more likely, you know, more chances to have success on eating new foods at school. 100%. Um, you know, and on top, so right, peer pressure is a real thing. It's really helpful. It does go the same way at home because you know that, you know, your kids do mimic you. Um, but I also think, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of this low pressure zone as well. Kids know that their parents want them to eat. And there's that pressure that, you know, for whatever reason, they might not want to give into. Um, but at school, everything's off limits. Everything is different. So, um, yeah, it's like a whole other ball game. But it's definitely a good thing. I would never, you know, you have a great attitude about it. It's never something to be upset about because a child's eating and that's really important. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is, I love kind of get, I hope I've sparked some people's interest, teachers especially, because I think sometimes lunchtime you think like, you know, 
out of sight, out of mind. But if we could get involved with some of our students and their eating challenges during breakfast and lunch and snack time, you know, that we could make a real change and really start exposing kids to new healthy foods. Definitely. And that's, um, I think that's a, it's really a great opportunity to be able to capitalize on that. Um, I was actually working with somebody recently who, um, her son is also in daycare and, you know, the teacher knows that they've been working on eating and expanding his diet at home. And the teacher found that when she could ask the entire class to try something, you know, okay, class, we're going to try, you know, these, these beets, um, he would try the beets, but if she <laughs> encourages him to eat them on his own, it's not something that he would ever do. So, you know, I know that there can be, you know, funny rules with food sometimes, but those sorts of activities too, whether they're just, you know, happening spontaneously during lunch, or if they can be incorporated in some sort of educational activity or experiment is definitely a great way to increase exposure and, you know, comfort with eating. Yes. Great point. Awesome. Well, where can people go to learn more about you and learn more from you? Yeah. Thank you. Um, so like you said, Instagram is a great place because I'm there um, most of the days of the week. So on Instagram, I am at autism.nutritionist. Um, and I also have my website where I post um, a weekly blog. So that's jennyfriedmannutrition.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I have learned a lot. This is really this is really interesting to think about. So thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm so glad. It was a pleasure. Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for educational resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. And this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. This is a new program and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.